I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they, the disciples and ourselves, are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Father, we pray that you take these few verses and speak them into our hearts, that you would fill Harry with the ability to communicate what is on your heart, and uh, our hearts would, would hear and receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Good to be here today on this lovely summer's day. I don't need much volume, I don't think, so you can turn it down a wee bit. Thank you. Well, today, the topic is continuing in our series about Mythbusters, which, as Andy said, is a series about uh, exposing how we can believe wrong things to be true, that somehow we take on board wrong thinking. And uh, the object of this series really is to maybe to recalibrate our thinking about some of these things. And today's myth is the one that says, I don't fit in here. Or another way of saying it is, I, I don't belong here. Or you may, in your circumstances of life, of job, or, or even family, or even church, you might, you might say, well, I, I feel like a, a square peg in a round hole. I feel uh, like I'm the odd one out. And we have that feeling sometimes, and that is just part of life and the adjustments of life that sometimes we feel on the outside rather than the inside. And uh, th there are a number of people in this congregation who, uh, myself amongst them, who have emigrated to this country, have emigrated to the UK from other countries and other cultures. And, uh, and that's, that's been my life. My wife and I and family, we, we emigrated to the UK when I was 29 years old, 1980. And we have lived here, we've made this our home for 36 years. So we've lived longer in the UK than we lived in the US. But there's a very real sense that I'm neither one nor the other completely. You know, as soon as I open my mouth here, you think, when did he step off the boat? Is he just here visiting? You steer me to Stratford or you steer me to London, to the sites. And I'm always having to explain myself and give an explanation, which is actually good to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. To have to give explanation sometimes is not a bad thing. But there is a sense that, uh, that sense of not fitting in completely to one or the other. We go visit family in America, and because culture moves on and progresses, we, we, are, we are stuck in a, in a time warp of 1980, and culture has moved on since then. So we're not, the cultural clues and the, the cultural hints and understandings and even language we're, we're not familiar with when we go there. So we feel a bit like we don't fit there. So we fit somewhere mid-Atlantic probably. Somewhere, just imagine a little dinghy or something mid-Atlantic and that's, that's Sandy and me. <laughs> and, and maybe for some of you who've come from other nations, you might feel the same way that you feel that you're neither one nor the other completely. And, and sometimes that issue of, well, do, do you really fit in? Do you belong? Do you identify? Is this home or is that home? Where is home? 
And uh, it's a common, uh, common thing. Well, there's been quite a few uh, studies done about what are called third culture kids, which are children, either they might be from missionary families or they might be immigrant families or they might be military children or they might be children whose parents have worked abroad for, for a season of time. But they are children who are kind of global nomads. They're, they're referred to sometimes as cultural chameleons because they, they've come, they have an identification with their parents' culture that they've come from, but they're living in a different culture altogether. And the third culture is an amalgamation of the two. And uh, quite a few studies have been done about these, these kind of children. And there are benefits and challenges to it. Some of the benefits are that they, they tend to have an expanded worldview. They tend to have uh, a, a cross-cultural sensitivity because they've experienced different cultures, different languages. There's a kind of cultural intelligence they have with that sensitivity and, and an adaptability. And I know that did us in good stead when we went and lived in Uganda for a time that I felt it was, we, we had an adaptability to to, to lay down our culture, to embrace another culture, to learn, to be learners into a culture. Not coming in thinking your culture is, is the best or better, but actually to, to have that cultural sensitivity. But there are some challenges to it too, to third culture kids. There's a challenge of, of identity crisis, of conflicted loyalties, difficulty adjusting. Uh, and ignorance of their home culture, and there's, there's even having to deal with racism and stereotyping. As, uh, that's an issue with immigrants, particularly that come uh, currently and have to deal with that, have to deal with the stereotyping that people have of immigrants coming. And yet we have to really understand what, what it must be like coming from another culture into this culture uh, with all the right motives and the right intentions and yet being stereotyped, being hit with, with kind of racist uh, attitudes. There's a, there's a, one of the challenges is that sense of feeling different and even the challenge of loneliness. I know I have felt that at times because I'm neither one nor the other completely. I felt that I, I don't completely fit here and I don't completely fit there. It can actually be quite a lonely place at times because you feel you want to belong to one or the other and yet you don't completely. So these are some of the issues that might contribute to a person feeling they don't fit in. So I'd like to look at that from the scripture and uh, answer the question, do I fit in here? And I believe there's two answers to it. There's a yes answer and a no answer. That might be surprising because you're probably expecting me just to address yes, we do fit in. But I'd like to also firstly address the issue that in a certain sense, we do not fit in. As a follower of Jesus, we face the challenge, the paradox of being in the world, but not of the world. And that's a huge challenge. You know, scripture is full of tensions. There's a tension of faith and works. There's a tension of, of, uh, of mercy and judgment. There's a tension of grace and truth. And this is a tension, being in the world, but not of the world. What does that mean exactly? And we'll, we'll look at the scripture there that, that Andy read in John 17. But there's this very real sense that our loyalty is to Jesus Christ as our Lord, and our values are those of the kingdom. And you only have to read the Sermon on the Mount to see that there's a, that's a manifesto of the kingdom that Jesus is, is giving in those chapters of, of Matthew's Gospel, five, six, and seven. 
that it's, it's the principles of a Christian counterculture where he turns everything on its head. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. He turns everything on its head, Jesus does, in that Sermon on the Mount. And it, it's a digested manifesto of what the kingdom of God is like, that we love our enemies, that we do good to them, that we seek first the kingdom of God, that we don't worry about the, the trappings of materialism in our lives. But it turns so many things, it turns our worldview upon its head. And it's a different worldview. It's the worldview of the kingdom of God. The, there's a song we used to sing uh, many years ago in our hippie church back in California, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And I don't know the rest of it, I forget it. But there is a very real sense as the writer to Hebrews says in chapter 11, that, that we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth, that we are just passing through. There's, there's a longing for a better country. There's a longing for a heavenly country. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, all those men and women of faith who saw something in faith, saw something in the distance that they reached for, they didn't apprehend it, but there was a longing in the heart for heaven. There was a longing for, for something better. And they, they move towards that. And that's within us too, because we're made for eternity. Life on earth is a dress rehearsal. It's a staging area for life in eternity. This life is just temporary. Person, uh, one person has said that our time on earth is but a small parenthesis in eternity. It's a blink of an eye. It's a vapor. When you think of, of 70, 80, 90 years on this earth compared to eternity, I, I say to you, sometime on a clear night, just look out into the stars. Just imagine those stars being billions of light years away and think of what 70 years is in that frame of reference. And you realize that our life is a vapor that is so passing and yet it's so all important to us. And again, that's that tension that, that, that God is out there, infinitely out there, beyond us, and yet God is also within us. He's intimately involved in our lives. There's, a, there, there's that tension as well. Uh, so we are finite and we are flawed and we are fallible as people. But when we live in the light of eternity, our worldview and our values change. We approach life differently and our priorities are reordered. Our priorities are reordered. So, so we don't worry about, well, what shall I wear? What shall I eat? But Jesus encouraged us, said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, that's the highest priority is make Jesus your Lord. Seek first his kingdom. You know, pray to God, seek intimacy, seek closeness with him and then amazingly other things are added to you, the things that you need in life. And that's, that's a reordering of our values and our priorities. The Apostle Paul lived in this tension too. He said in Philippians 1, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to die and be with Christ. Sounds like a death wish. It isn't. He's just expressing that, that longing for heaven. He says, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
So Paul lived in that tension as well. And, and we do, and it is a fine line sometimes, and we don't always get it right, that perfect balance between being in the world and, and yet not of the world and, and being responsible citizens within this world and yet being responsible citizens of the kingdom of God. That dual citizenship doesn't always sit comfortably with us. It's a challenge. We kind of fall one way or the other. We get super spiritual sometimes, and we get super worldly at other times. And, uh, but God understands all that. He understands the mix of that, of, 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 of heaven and earth, and the, the, the merging of those two within our lives. He understands that. Interesting passage out of Romans 12, a uh, familiar one that you know well. It says this, Romans uh, 12, 2. Paul writing, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One version says, do not be, allow yourself to be squeezed into the world's Mold. Don't, and another version, the message I think puts it this way. He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. It's very easy to do it. We live in a, in a culture where there, the Bible refers to that there is a God of this world. There, is, there are pressures in terms of materialism. There, there are pressures in terms of, uh, of, of just individualism and, and living for me rather than living for other people. Huge pressures upon us. You know, the media bombard us with these things. Social media bombards us with these things. And that can take, out, take over our worldview rather than this worldview that somehow there's, there's, there's a bigger and a better kingdom that we're part of. And, uh, and this is preparation for that. We live with a new and a different worldview contrary to the worldview of materialism and secularism. It's a different worldview altogether. And that's why Jesus said, he said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because that's, that's the things of true value are the things of heaven. It says in Colossians, Paul says this, he says, if you then be risen with Christ, since, since you are risen with Christ, set your hearts on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hidden in Christ and God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, he says there. And so there is a message, a, a very real sense that we don't fit in completely, completely comfortably to this, to this world around us. And yet the, the paradox of that is that for the sake of the gospel, we adapt. For the sake of the gospel, we, as Paul said, we become all things to all men, so that by all possible means we might win some. And, and Paul did that. He said to the Jews, he became a Jew. To the weak, he became weak, so that by all possible means he might build bridges into people's lives and even bridges into their culture to understand where they're coming from so that he might be able to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul understood that. So he says, I have become all things to all men. And that's, that's the challenge we face, that you know, we're not to, to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. We're, we're to, to be firmly rooted in life here, as Jesus was. Jesus felt comfortable with sinners. 
He was accused of, of, of being with, with drunkards and with prostitutes and people like that. And they pointed the finger at him because he was making himself unclean by doing that. But Jesus didn't compromise his values in doing that. And this is the challenge for us, that, that we're, we're in amongst the world. We're, we're getting our feet and our hands dirty in the messiness of life, in the messiness of people's lives. But our loyalties are towards God. Now for the other side of the coin. Now for the other side of the coin. Let me just, before I say that, I just want to make this point, that, that, uh, that we don't withdraw from the world around us. You know, some in church history have done that, and they've done it because God has called them to. And we, we owe a great uh, debt of gratitude to monastics and to monks who, who laboriously copied the word of God through the Middle Ages so that we have Bibles with us today. And, and, and monks and monastics who have, who have labored in the secret place with God and have given us teaching and, and, and insight into prayer and into communion with God. So we owe them a great, a great uh, gratitude for that. But by and large, for most people, you're called to live in the world. Jesus says, you are not, they are not of the world, his disciples, but I have sent them into the world. And 99.9% of us have been sent into the world for a purpose. And part of the, the wonder of the Christian life is to discover that purpose. Why has God, what is God's destiny upon my life? Why has he sent me uh, into this world? Why has he sent me into this city? Why has he sent me into this nation? I ask myself that sometimes, you know. Why, God, have you brought us here of all places? When we moved here, we thought this would be a stepping stone to other nations. We thought we would, this, we'd be here in the UK five years and then we'd be launching into other nations. But God in his wisdom kept us here. And I'm glad he did because, you know, this is our country now. This is our nation. We're dual citizens. We, we've, we've become citizens of both nations. In fact, we're tri-citizens. We're citizens of, of two geographic nations, but we're also citizens of the kingdom of God. And what a great privilege it is to have that expanded worldview that each of us has when we, when we can see that. We're to let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Now for the other side of the coin. Yes, we do fit in. So this, I'm asking you to change gears. The other side of the coin, the one is that we don't fit in comfortably, but the, the, the other side is, yes, we do fit in. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that at one time we were separate from Christ, we were excluded without hope, without God, we were lost, we were alienated from God, we, it was a lonely, desperate place. But now you who were once far away have been brought near through Christ. We've brought, been brought near to God. That's God's rescue plan. We're no longer foreigners and aliens. We're no longer on the outside, but we're fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. And in fact, the Bible even says that we're accepted in the beloved. I love that phrase. We are accepted in the beloved. Each one here, you are accepted in the beloved. You belong in the body of Christ. You belong in God's purposes. You belong in relationship with God. And it's a great place to be. We've been grafted into this, this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. And I'd like to just share this scripture out of 1 Corinthians 12, 
where he talks about this beautiful organism called the church, the body of Christ, the gathering, the community of God's people, where he says, he says things like this. He says, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. He says, in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So God has arranged us. God has made a fit for each one of us within his body. Not all are the ear, it says, not all are the eye. Every part within this beautiful organism called the church, this beautiful community, is, is, has been placed by God, has been set in place by God. There is a perfect fit for each one of us within the body of Christ. None are excluded. There's a great sense of belonging within the church, within the body of Christ. And uh, I think I shared maybe a few weeks ago that I've been involved with a family situation where a family member is, is in, 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 a, in a difficult stage of life, late in life, and with very, with, in fact, no income, poor health, and is really struggling in life. But the problem is that this family member is isolated. He's not part of a community. He's not, part, he's not benefiting from the support of even friends. He's, he lives a very lonely, isolated life. And it makes me appreciate the church because I realize we have the benefit of so much resource here, so much support, so much love. You know, it says when, when, when one suffers, we all suffer. When, when one is blessed, we're all blessed. There's that sense that we're in it together this wonderful community that we have here. And it's so easy to take that for granted. It's so easy to look and, and to be judgmental and look at what, what the church isn't. And there's a lot that the church isn't. But church at its best is the most wonderful organism, the most wonderful community on the face of the earth. I want to say that again. Church at its best, when it's a loving, inclusive community, is, is the best community on the face of the earth. Do you know that? It really is because it's motivated out of, out of God's love. It's motivated out of care for other people. It's motivated out of that kind of selflessness that wants to see other people's benefit rather than just my own benefit. So it's, it, this is a, uh, the fact that we've, we are members together in one body and shares together in the promise of Jesus. So there is a sense in which, a very real sense, each one of us do fit in. We fit in to the community of God's people. You do fit. You know, it is sometimes a, a it can be a lie in this, in this spiritual battle where in our minds sometimes that you don't fit in, you don't belong, people don't love you, people don't really accept you. That can be a lie that rumbles around our heads. And we need to uh, recalibrate our thinking to say, yes, I do fit in. I do belong. I am accepted in the beloved. I'm, I'm part of this community called the church. And I'm also part of God's purposes, that God has a plan for my life. God has a reason for me to be here amongst these people. Because the church is diverse. We, we could be, there's so many wonderful churches in Birmingham. You could be in any one of those. But there has to be a sense of identification that, that these, this is my church family. This is where I belong. This is where, where I'm going to put my roots down and express community uh, through being linked with these people. 
Rick Warren said this. He said that the church, that God created the church to help meet five deep human needs. And, and this is what he says. The need for a purpose to live for. The need for a people to live with. The need for principles to live by. The need for a profession to live out. And the need for the power to live on. And, and, and God provides that within this community called the church. Church at its best is inclusive, it's diverse, it's loving, everyone fits and everyone has a place. In the broad, broadest sense, that is true. But some people, even within church, you feel, I just don't belong. It doesn't seem a good fit. Even on my way cycling here today, I met a, a, a disgruntled Christian who has opted out of church because he feels he doesn't fit. He feels he, he tries this church, he tries that church, he tries and it just seems he doesn't, he doesn't get it somehow, he doesn't connect somehow. And I think that's a very sad state to be in because God never encourages that kind of isolation. It isn't just me and God, but it's me and God in the midst of God's community. And, and as a body, we function together to bring Jesus into this world, to, to, to be relevant to the world around us and to be, to be out there. The church is never perfect, as you know, but it's important to be part of one. It's, it's, not, it's not good to opt out of church. I know many people, particularly people my age, who have seen it all and done it all, and they're a bit bruised and battered, maybe a bit wounded, and they've opted out of church. And it's like taking a, a coal out of the fire and putting it on the hearth, and, and the, 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 it loses its glow. It loses its glow. As soon as you put it back in the fire, the glow returns. Because we're not, uh, as a coal is, it functions best within the other coals, so do we function best within the church, the body of Christ. People, people don't fit for all kinds of reasons. Maybe there's a, there's a di you don't like a style of worship, or maybe the vision is different than what you have a vision for. But there's the, the be beauty of the church is you, everybody can find a church that fits for them. Everybody can. There's, the, that's the diversity of the church. That's the beauty of it, is there's something there for everyone. And so uh, there's no need to live in isolation but I encourage everybody to be part of this community uh, called the church, where you do fit in, where you are accepted, where there is forgiveness, where there is love. So I challenge you to discover your fit, your unique, your unique place within God's bigger purposes and within the community of God's people, the church. I challenge you to do that, to, to find a place. Don't, don't sit on the outside looking in, but throw your all in and say, what can I do? to serve and to be part of this family, this community here. Where can I find my fit within this community? I want to finish with a, with a poem which speaks of our value. It's called The Touch of the Master's Hand. And it goes like this. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried. Who'll start bidding for me? A pound, a pound. Now who'll make it two, two pounds? Who'll make it three? Three pounds once, three pounds twice? Going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. 
Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody, a pure and sweet melody, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bidden for the old violin? And he held it up with a bow. A thousand pounds, who will make it two? Two thousand pounds, who will make it three? Three thousand pounds once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, we don't understand, what changed its worth? The man replied, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and torn with sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. But going once and going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never couldn't quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. And you know, our lives have been touched by the master's hand. We fit in to God's purposes because of that. God has added value to our lives. He's transformed us from something that's bruised and battered and wounded into something of great preciousness in his sight. Great preciousness. And because of that, we do fit. There's none of us that's unworthy because we've all been touched by the master's hand and we do fit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these thoughts, that, uh, this, this tension that we, we don't fit in comfortably on one hand, and yet on the other hand, we do fit in because you've made a place for us. You've made a home for us, and you've made a place for us in your heart, and you've touched our lives. You've transformed us, and you've added value to our lives. And we want to thank you for that, Lord. And because of that, we want to give you our all. We want to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.